Hello, we're back with another episode of Where Did It All Go Right? I'm Ali Jones and don't forget you can find loads of other great episodes. Well, I would say great, wouldn't I? Well, you can see for yourself uh, if you go to iTunes, Podbean or Spotify. They're all there waiting for you. Now, this week's guest is Julia Rayside. Now, Julia and I did some work experience at the RSC about too long ago to remember. Um, And it was really lovely to catch up with her again. Uh, Since then, she has gone on to become a very successful writer, writing about TV mainly and reviewing it as well, mainly for The Guardian. She also has her own podcast, Always There, celebrating her love of the TV show Howard's Way. So we talked about that and more. Enjoy. Julia, it's lovely to see you. We've made it because we've kind of had a few full starts on, on, on having a little chat. Yeah, with our podcast. busy lives. We're trying to have it all, Ali. We mustn't. We mustn't <laughs> no, try and have it all. It's not allowed. <laughs> but I, I think you really do have it all because... Your job is amazing. Like watching telly and talking about it and writing about it. Did you ever think when you were like sitting at school, I don't know, in whatever class you probably hated, because there's always one, isn't there? All of them. All of them. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think I'm going to be talking about telly and writing about it? Never. No. And I think I was I was a classic child who was always told they watched too much TV. And, you know, there's a certain element of satisfaction in going, oh, well, actually, if I hadn't sat in front of the TV getting square eyes, maybe you're always told you get square eyes. I do have square eyes and now I'm making a living from it. So, no. Yeah, it's just revenge on my parents and teachers who told me to stop watching so much telly. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. Yeah. So how much do you reckon you watch a week? Well, I mean, dep- now it re- you really, I have to kind of control it because <laughs> there's too much TV for one. Like no one person is now going to be able to watch all of the good things that they're being recommended. There's like, then there needs to be a new word for the anxiety it induces when you hear someone going, oh my God, you have to watch. Because it's just, when? When will I watch it between the children and the working and the, oh God. So even as someone who does it for a job, I don't have enough hours in the day to watch everything. Um, and feel sorry for me because now mostly what I'm I have to do. I'm not feeling sorry for you No, no, all. do. This is, this is going to, I want a tiny violin playing because this is going to break your heart. Most of the time, if something new uh, needs covering, which obviously I, I get to see it before everybody else, that's the only nice thing about it. I get to see maybe two episodes and then I don't have time to finish anything that I really love because I've got to go on to the next thing so everything in your life is unfinished then really yeah it's like a it's a very scrappy picture I have of the current tv (laughs) thing because yeah especially things are so full of twists and turns now and half the time I don't know what happened at the end of no I do actually the I watch this thing called the OA which is on Netflix Uh, there's a new series of it just starting or has just started and um I had to know what happened at the end of that because it was so completely mad and insane but it's series that don't follow like a linear structure it's really hard to keep on top of yeah yeah and nine times out of ten someone from a radio station will ring and say we're doing a piece on such and such Can, can you come and talk about it and I have to say I can talk about the first episode. I haven't seen. It's terrible. But terrible. when when you do watch the whole thing, because sometimes mm. you probably just can't resist. To, oh to, yeah, yeah. To, to binge the whole thing. Yeah. Do you then find it really hard? Because um, when you're writing about something, you must find it then really hard not to give too much away. Because well, the worst spoilers critics, are a big problem. Yeah. yeah, it's it's very difficult. And like I say, the way dramas are made now, especially like the streaming dramas, they are made to get you hanging on the edge of your seat for the next episode, binging it straight away, not waiting. Um, so there's a there's it's, it's a difficult thing to write about TV now because there are people who've watched the whole thing already. There are people who haven't even seen the first five minutes yet, and you kind of have to write for all of them. So it's yes, it's a fine line you tread, not spoiling it for anyone. Because my God, when people are spoiled, they tell you about I it bet like they, they do. don't they don't like it much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and they have lots of ways of telling you how cross they are with you if you've spoiled something for them. So yeah, turn off social media. Yeah, get, yeah. yeah. Uh, so so when you because you and I grew up quite 
close by the yeah. each other in Warwickshire. So you live near the RSC, mm. and you always wanted to work in, in theatre then, Totally. To oh, God, I really, really did. Um, yeah, so living there, in fact, we both did work experience there, didn't we? I did. I thought so it was you. Exciting. Yeah, it's sitting in the so cafe thrilling. with Simon Russell Beale over. I know. There's Simon Russell Beale. <laughs> I know, it genuinely was, like, one of the most exciting things I'd ever done. You know, we were, what, 14, 15? Still is the most exciting thing I've ever done. Genuinely. Which, which department were you in? I was in the paint shop, so I was, like, a fireproofing back cloths, you know, that they gave us like some real BS jobs to do because it's like those 14 year old kids can't be trusted with anything. So me and this other guy were kind of like in overalls just standing around spraying stuff. Um, but it was really fun. I got to do a bit of painting. There was a production of King Lear that year. Yes, and Edward II, I remember. That's right. Yeah. That was Simon Russell Bill. Yeah. And I, I got to sort of uh, paint some sets and stuff. So it was really, really exciting. And I'd only ever done that at school before. Um, and I was. I was really obsessed with the whole backstage theatre thing. So never, never aspired to acting or anything like that. I loved the excitement of being backstage in the dark at night. The performance is about to start. Everyone's adrenaline's flowing. Like that seemed to me the most exciting thing genuinely and then I think I sort of I I did try and get into drama school to do stage management that was kind of how I sort of made that happen and then I think it was just at a time where you couldn't get funding unless you were sponsored or your parents could help pay for you I think around then my dad was made redundant it was just like where's the money going to come from so I didn't go to drama school I messed around for a couple of years and then I uh, went to university to do sort of film and English but while I was at university, I met loads of drama students and decided that maybe working in theatre wasn't the best thing for me <laughs> after all. Because I just, I found them really annoying. <laughs> so it, it all worked out in the end then, didn't it? It did, it did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I enjoyed my time at uni a lot and I still got involved in I still did loads of stage management and sort of all the things I'd loved before. But I think I started to see that, I don't know, the theatre life as well is very hard to sustain any other parts of your life like people with a family find it really hard to do and you know your your days are all topsy-turvy you work in the evenings you you I started to see another side of it that I thought well maybe that's not for me so then when did it sort of dawn on you that maybe you could do something else using your love of television huh. well I mean I got if this is always probably the story you're going to hear there's always a certain amount of luck and um, I like luck I think luck's great though yeah isn't it? it's absolutely good. and actually there's an attitude you can have that means luck will probably, you'll notice it more because you're kind of open to it and your eyes are open to it. But I um, was coming to the end of my degree and there was, I'm, I'm not sure if it's the university or some, something, uh, there was another work experience opportunity basically came up. And in this, the final summer before graduation, uh, everyone sort of got the opportunity to organise themselves something, to dip your toe in a career, see what you think of it. And my boyfriend at the time was a teacher who was working with another teacher. This is always how it happens. And uh, the other teacher was married to a TV producer who worked at London Weekend Television in uh, in the middle of London. And I was at university um, at Warwick, actually. Uh, so I just sort of talked to him one night and said, is your wife, do, do they ever do work experience? And he was like, yeah, 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 well, well you, you should meet her for a coffee. And so then you dumped the boyfriend. Yeah, immediately. I was like, thanks, love. You've been very useful. Um, actually, no, he was, he was delightful. He was living in London at the time. He allowed me to stay with him. He was a huge help to me and my career. Um, yeah, and I, so I came to London for like four weeks and just... I mean, <laughs> worked on some terrible documentaries. Things about people's wedding days going wrong. Um, something Good about trashy stuff, though. Proper trashy stuff. Yeah. Stuff they don't really make anymore, like, fortunately. Probably, it's probably still out there in the digital world. Uh, things about people who really, really love cars, you know. And so I'd get, it was great. I got to do some things I'd never done before. I got to go out on shoots and 
kind of be an investigative journalist and fi- track people down who disappeared, who we needed to get their stories. And it was actually, and not that <laughs> I sound so old now, there wasn't a lot you could do with the internet back then. So it was a lot of like going through the yellow pages. And my God, it's like living in, you know, the Victorian era. Uh, I sort of, I sent carrier pigeons to people to try and find it's them. It's a lot easier now, isn't it? Yeah. I just, it's a totally different job now, I imagine. It's just a, a press of a button. Um, so it was a, it was properly exciting. And in that four weeks, I just thought, oh my God, this is, this is a job. This is great. So um, I sort of went back to uni kind of all quite fired up. And then luck would have it, you know, if you get into an organisation, this is the thing. If they meet you and they like you and you're useful, then and you're enthusiastic and crucially you're cheap because you've just graduated. Um, somebody who I'd done a bit of work experience with this said, we've got a production starting like two days after your last final exam. Could you conceivably move to London and start work? And I just sort of said, yes. You got <laughs> so, your foot in the door and you, yeah. you were off. Yeah. So what was, incredible what was the programme? It was. Now, let's see. I think that might have been, it might have been Weddings from Hell. <laughs> <laughs> and it was it was really quite something. Yeah, it was basically just, you know, it, it effectively a clip show of funny things that happened at weddings, but also interlaced with some like traumatic testimony of people going, my husband was murdered on my wedding day or everything went on fire on my wedding day or whatever. Yeah, it was quite bad stories then. Oh, awful stories. It was anything that had footage. But this is, you know, it was a bit of a baptism of fire because... I think I realised after not very long, actually, that I'd be dealing with people's... I mean, if I was working, I was working in factual, it's just where I ended up. I think I really wanted to work in comedy, but you take what you can get in telly because it's very competitive. So I thought, I'll start here. But right away, I was dealing with, like, real people's really horrible stories. And you kind of... At first, it's like, oh, this is a lark. And then you realise, oh, my God, these people have been through hell. And there's a slightly uneasy relationship with people who've been through hell, but who also really are flattered to be asked to talk about it on television. Yeah. Yes. And then and then it's, you know, depending on how you approach it, it can be terribly exploitative. So and you tried I not to be exploitative. Tried not to, but then your producer's saying, get this story, make, make them cry, you know. I mean, it, 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 gets, it gets eggy quite quickly, mm-hmm. depending on who you work for and what you're doing. But, you know... We, I remember going up to, I think it was Durham or somewhere once, and we were we were interviewing uh, genuinely not very nice people who'd been who'd conned people. But there's there's a side to that personality where uh, they, 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 he'd served time this guy and he was a criminal, but also he loved the idea that people would be filming him and talking to him about his life. And obviously he wanted to try and defend himself. You know, he had, there was no defense. He was a dreadful person. And um, my producer, obviously, he was a lot sort of smarter than I was, said. Um, we're going to interview him back at the hotel, but um, let's not go straight there. He was he was a fairly big chap and he was wearing a... He was trying to look his best, wearing a three-piece suit. He was pretty decked out. And the producer said, um, let's, um, let's walk up to the top of that hill, pretend we need some shots up there, and then we'll come down. I was like, what... Oh, oh, you want him to look all sweaty and out of breath when you interview? Brilliant. So you, is... you learned a lot. On I that learned job. a lot of underhand, dreadful <laughs> things. And there were mysterious phone numbers you could ring to track someone down. And no it's one like said. for the police. It was a bit. There was a, I'm sure it was highly illegal, but there was a phone number you could ring. Uh, I think it was somewhere in Colchester or something. And you weren't allowed to know who they were. It's just like, if you need this number, just call because they can track anyone down. I was like, okay, cool. <laughs> Yikes. So it's kind of, it's something that you probably never imagined when you were yeah. studying your, your degree and thinking, right, I'm going to be now become sort of almost private detective. Yes, basically. For a year or two. For a year. <laughs> I thought you might be going to weddings in the dodgy weddings. I thought you'd be like having no. to, to dress up and sit in the back row because somebody <laughs> said, oh no, this is going to be a bad wedding. Yeah. Or, yeah. or, 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 or burst into a, uh, a wedding and say, 
yes, you can't get married. So, so after that, yeah, what, what happened next then? Well, I mean, penury uh, for a while because I did. I stuck at TV. I did try, but I was finding it increasingly. I think after about a year and a half, I'd, I'd sort of done one. It's very short contracts television. So if you're, especially if you're new at it, you'll get employed for three months, and if they like you, they renew. But if they, you know, if, if there's nothing for you or you know you've annoyed them in some way that's it you're out so so obviously very insecure kind of living and you know it, it always brings up this this sort of problem of you know if you don't have the safety net of mom dad I can't pay my rent this month you know you can't do it mm. and it's really difficult to get into a creative career unless you've got a bit of backup or a kindly landlord or lady who'll let you stay or you know it's difficult so it was at that point did you think right I'm gonna jack it all in I'm gonna go back to Warwickshire and oh, god uh, no <laughs> I mean, in the nicest possible way. And I have been back to Warwick since, and it's lovely. And I forgot how lovely it is. I go back every year for a festival now called the Also Festival. It's beautiful. But no, I, I didn't want to, no. No, 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 no. Once you've seen London, it's like, it's too exciting. So, um, no, I was I was still there, sort of struggling away. And the jobs were coming and going. Uh, I sort of, I did my last job with LWT. It was, I was there for quite a long time. I strung together contracts. And then, you know, my luck ran out. And then I had a, a couple of jobs in other independent production companies, but short contracts. And then I think the last one, I won't say who they were, but I worked for this independent production company. It was run by these these two chaps. And just they were very, I mean, they were very odd. They, I, I can't even really go into details about it, but they, it was it was quite hard working for them. But it, 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 that was when I, I really thought, what am I still doing here? This is silly. And I started um, emailing a, a friend of mine who was a journalist and just sort of sending him long rambling emails on my lunch break about like how I dream of escape and working somewhere else, doing something else. And he just said... Um, I'm fed up with the emails. Come on, just come and work with me. <laughs> luckily, luckily he didn't. Luckily he said, oh, your emails are very funny. Why uh, have you ever thought of writing? And I was like, oh, that's not a proper job. Don't be silly. And that was kind of how it started, really. I'd always loved writing, always, you know, probably like you, loved English, studied at university, you know, I'd, but it didn't occur to me that writing would be a, a career option so I just never considered it well also you think oh it's so competitive there's yeah you know, there's always somebody better that you better than you in English at school completely it, it's that yeah. kind of thing isn't it and there's it's a world I didn't know at all publishing newspapers I just had no idea about it and he was really the only person I knew who was doing it he trained he'd been to uh, London College of Printing I think and done his degree I think there. I think you could do that then mm. and but he just sort of said look you don't need a qualification in it you just need to be talented he, he thought I was and it was very nice of him to say so so he just emailed uh, one of his editors at the Guardian I mean again jammy sod or what um, but yeah he, he knew someone who was working um, at this magazine called The Guide in the Guardian so it's like a little Saturday supplement um, which back then was just really popular I think it was often the reason people bought the paper because it was just full of really good snappy witty journalism and I loved it too I was sort of really um kind of enthralled to it and he sent I think he he used to write these little tv reviews for them um sort of a few a week and he really kindly said look write one of them but we won't say anything and we'll just see if it gets through and it did and it got into print and I was like oh my god I've just oh, it hasn't got my name on but this is truly exciting those are my words yeah exactly and do it they was, change them much no not at all wow. and I was just it was so genuinely thrilled like it nearly sort of you know my head nearly exploded with the sudden possibilities and then my friend very kindly he's called Ali Catterall he's still a brilliant journalist he still writes for The Guardian and many other places as well um, he just fessed up to his editor a couple of weeks later and said you know that review and his editor was like, and, you know, took it in good part and said, oh, very clever. Well, you know, yeah, she's fine. There's nothing for her at the moment. But, you know, jolly good. And then just then began the long, long 
road of having absolutely no money but but trying to get the freelance ball rolling so but starting with a gig at the guardian wasn't yeah, bad that's not bad at all so i it? i literally got i mean it was pocket money but i got a couple of pieces in and then a few weeks later he sort of started sending me one a week and then it, it sort of snowballed to maybe three or four and i was there for a long time i, I only, only stopped doing that a few years ago actually but it was just it was the first important step on the way to getting a kind of name for myself, I suppose, writing. And also, you know, every week people are reading what you're writing and yeah. you get your name for yourself. It's yeah. a really good way of, rather than just sending an email to one person, now yes. everybody's seeing the way you can write. Exactly. It's just getting that first bit of, and I know you say it was luck. It's it, a huge amount of luck. But, you know, you, he obviously saw something in your writing that, yeah. got, that got you published. Yeah, it's somebody having faith in you, obviously. is. I mean, without him, I wouldn't be doing it. So I, I don't know how else you get, you know, you can jump up and down all you like, but like you said, there are lots of people who are good, who want to do it, mm. if you're in the right place at the right time. It's annoying because any time you listen to a podcast like this, you're like, I'm going to hear like an amazing, it's going to be good because I'll know how to, and you know, and the answer is, you know, you have to obviously throw a lot of stuff at the wall. Something will probably stick. But there's, a, <laughs> yes. there's There is a luck element, a massively lucky so, element. So you've been, you, you wrote for them for, for, for a long time. Yeah, yeah. And, and But then you decided to sort of change tack a little bit, didn't you? Yeah, I like changing tack because uh, obviously Thanks. sailing metaphors are very much my thing. <laughs> so yeah, no, I did. I kind of I kind of got a freelance career going and, and, and actually someone from the Evening Standard saw my TV reviews in the guide and said, come and work for us for a few weeks while our TV review is off. So I got, you know, I had I had some sort of one thing did definitely lead to another. Um, and it sort of it made us, I, I guess now, it's funny when you're doing it, you think, oh God, it's so precarious. I haven't got enough work. But it sort of seems to have made a body of work in a career now, which is great. But yeah, I got, um, when I was still quite early on in journalism, I suppose maybe two or three years in, I started to do, I mean, I don't know how you got into radio, but I just used to go into like Radio London at like midnight to the show that only taxi drivers listen Sounds to. Sounds familiar. Yeah, and, and go and I review the papers or talk about what was on TV that week or whatever. And that, that work always came from being a journalist and they could say Julia from The Guardian and so bang, suddenly yeah. that's enough to get you in anywhere. It's great. I mean, n- never usually paid. It was just a, do you want to try this? Sometimes I'd go straight from the pub and have had a few wines. But it made um, you more relaxed. Well, actually it really yeah. did help because I think at first I was so frightened of the microphone. But it's just, that just started me off doing it and so radio became quite a, an interesting thing for me so I do I go on to Radio 4 and do Front Row or the Today programme sometimes which is always like being Daunting. the one no well actually the first few times it was but it's really funny because I never go on to talk about anything more serious than an episode of a TV show that one's talking about it's, and it's always the and finally pretty much always the and finally slot it, everyone gets a bit giggly because it's like they could bring their games in it's like <laughs> oh, we're not talking about sort of Iraq today we're talking about this and it's they like, can see that big bacon butty just around yeah, the corner yeah. yeah so there's like a holiday atmosphere whenever I go and it's delightful <laughs> <laughs> but yeah and I want to talk to you about um, agents because you've got an agent now yeah and and I've talked to different people about the role of an agent yeah and and it's mainly if you're an actor or if you're a a writer like an author as in books so for you that was something that you decided to do quite recently really recently actually yeah I've um got lots of uh, sort of friends now who work in radio um they 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 usually don't just do radio they do probably tv as well or and they're presenters or whatever so they they have an agent obviously i've never really thought of myself as someone who needed one i feel like a bit of a ponce even saying talk to my agent now because it's like <laughs> you've got a what now but you know um the kind of the kind of gigs i do a contributor gig on, on radio 4 or 
you know, six music or whatever, all my sort of BBC radio gigs, they pay tiny amounts of money, but they're kind of worth doing. I, if I do the Today programme, I probably get like three other things off the back of that because people hear me and then commission me. It's like a domino so effect. Completely it? is. It, mm. the, the one thing always feeds the other. It's really good to keep both of those going. But the agent really uh, was, I just, I, I thought about what I'd like to do more of now. And I still like writing a lot, but as you can tell I love talking even more and um, I started doing my own podcast and that gave me a lot of confidence because I don't really I don't host things I go on other people's things but I kind of often wondered I wonder if I could because I think I would really enjoy having a show or co-hosting a show um so yeah I hosted my own podcast about Howard's Way the 1980s drama the changing tack (laughs) thank you yes we must now refer back to refer back to it yes sailing puns is it your favorite ever show then I think you've watched is. a lot of telly I have there was a certain amount of disbelief when uh, my sort of uh, friends were, were saying so you're doing a podcast great what's it about is it sort of like a what to watch on tv this week and I was like not not exactly no no it's sort of a bit niche but yeah I think it was just for your first one I think uh, it was important a lot of people who've got podcasts said to me do something you just really, really love. And something that's niche. Something, yeah, something you know you can talk about. It's narrow cast, don't broadcast. The whole point about podcasts is you should be talking about a very specific thing to a specific type of person, a specific number of people. Um, numbers isn't important right now. If you can, if you're lucky enough to have to lay your hands on the equipment, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to really cost you anything. And if you can call in favors from friends, you know, brilliant. So it was more important to me that I just got some funny people on to talk about a show that I knew I could just go on about till the cows came home. But the main point of it was just to hear two people having a nice chat. Like this, you know, you're, the best podcasts are just two people talking and it's interesting to hear somebody else's perspective on something. It's mm. interesting to hear, you know, just, yeah, just a bit of chit-chat. It doesn't have to have too much structure, I don't think. But also something that goes back to a time when things seemed a lot simpler. I remember yeah, Sunday yeah. night, you know, what's going to happen with Ken Masters. Yeah, um, yeah. My, my sister was always whinging about not wanting to go to school, and I always think that it's okay, Howard's Way's on. Exactly, yeah, and distract was, yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But how many were there of them? There were six series. Were there? And there were oh. 30, I think 13 episodes per series. That's a lot to get through. And I say, I say in the preamble to the podcast, uh, I'm going to go through every single episode like it's The Wire. Um, <laughs> I've actually, I have done two series now, but that's, it's quite time consuming. But, you know, I did promise, and now the show has like, it's a cult hit. <laughs> we have over a thousand listeners. Uh, so I kind of feel like I have to keep going now. You do. Yeah. I think it's good, though, because my son is listening to a podcast where they go through Star Wars. Oh. minute by minute Whoa. no hang on five minutes so I think every podcast is five minutes of oh that's start. quite a good idea or is it Lord of the Rings they're, yeah, all, yeah, yeah. they're all the same to me I don't know that's a very bad thing to say no no they are all the same to me too mm-hmm. when you're not interested in them they're all the same yeah. uh, but so at least you haven't narrowed it down to because that would take years no no that's a marathon yeah. yeah yeah I mean we don't We I think I started off doing a lot of detail and realising that podcasts shouldn't really go over about 40 minutes really mm. if you're if you're trying to keep someone's interest so yeah I think my, I talk faster now and skim over some of the scenes <laughs> <laughs> but I still love it though it's like it is it's an escape it's let's go back to some time when you know god things weren't like this Brexit and Trump and Jesus you know it was just it was a different time yeah, yeah. and yeah the, the, the sort of nausea about not having done your homework side it was sort of the memories are largely happy ones so how would you feel though if they remade it because they there is a trend for that there is a trend for that and the minute the podcast started picking up any kind of steam at all the all the talk on twitter i mean i'm talking in quite a niche group of people but all the talk among my tiny niche group of, uh, of fans um was uh, oh god the remake and who's going to be what in the remake and actually it's really fun to talk about you know, play that pencil cricket game of like, who would you cast in it? But no, I hope they don't. They're remaking Bergerac, which is bad enough. 
With the completely new cast. Oh, I well, I'd assume so. Maybe yeah, they'll yeah, take yeah. it to the Isle of Man or something. Oh, or... God, I don't know. The Isle of Wight, probably. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I just, I don't hold with it. There's no need to go back. They did, they famously did um, Dallas. They, they remade Dallas for Ch- and Channel 5 bought it over here. And I, go, I went to the press junket of, uh, of, the, of the relaunch thing. Um, and it was really sad because Larry Hagman, no one knew then, was very, very ill. But he kind of just looked in robust health and mm. he was determined to go through the, the, the press tour. So he came to this country with, with Sue Ellen. <laughs> What's her real name? Linda Gray. Um, yeah, they, they <laughs> came. They You've got came, encyclopedic knowledge. I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, you have to. But, um, <laughs> but So they, they came and did this incredible press junket. And, I was, and there was, you know, the world's, well, the, the country's press were all lined up. And I was actually freelancing for another paper that day. And they decided that the paper I was from, you know, deserved an extra. So they gave me the biggest slot and I was on first. Just suddenly, and, and you know, stars normally, you say when you meet them in real life, they're tiny. <laughs> Linda Gray and Larry Hagman were gigantic. He was wearing the Stetson. They were just hugely tall people. And I was kind of shaking. And there are cameras and lights because they also film everything. Even if you don't need the footage, they give you a, an SD card at the end. And so I sort of sat down and realised my recorder just stopped working. Of all I was the time. Like, ah. Just looking at them, they were looking at me like, are we going to start now? And I was like, ah, I'll be right back. And I ran out and got my iPhone and they were just both looking at each other like, what is this mad woman doing? <laughs> and eventually, you know, we started and, and Larry Hagman fist bumped. He insisted on fist bumping everyone before the start of the interview. And I was That's like, quite interesting. It was, I don't know if it's like a power play or what, but it was just, it was, I was thrilled. Well, so your hand was shaking too much. Well, to yeah, may, maybe it steadied me. I don't know. It's just like, okay, we're, we're on, let's go. But he was so lovely. And it was just like three months later, he'd gone, he'd, he'd died. It was just really sad. But yeah. um, I got to meet JR and Sue Ellen, which if you're a TV fan who grew up in the 80s, Who Shot JR is the thing that the whole world talked about. So um, that was, yeah, that was and thrilling. The sh- and the shower scene, of course, you know, with the Absolutely. whole, I mean, that was just completely ridiculous. No, I mean, we could do a whole... Uh, Episode of a podcast on that. Yeah, well, funny you should say that. I probably am going to do an episode of a podcast on that because the podcast I'm going to do next, I'm going to keep Howard's Way going because I love it and it's sort of, uh, it would let too many people down now. (laughs) Over 30 people would be heartbroken if I just stopped doing it. You'll you'll be like 75 going. I know. Episode 364. (laughs) Oh, I hope so. I see it's like, I think when I finally finished, I can enter it for the Turner Prize. (laughs) It's like, she did what? For how long? Okay, that's actually art. That's actually art. Um, But no, I'm doing another nostalgic TV podcast with a broader remit because I think I am deliberately excluding so many people by just doing this one show. But so, uh, yeah, I I haven't announced what it's called yet or what I'm doing, but basically it's going to look at things you can find on YouTube that that, that sort of kickstart memories of 80s childhood and TV. And I think, yeah, I think the Moldavian wedding massacre has to be in there, obviously. I think a bouncer's dream from Neighbours, definitely Bobby in the shower. You know, those moments you will go, oh my God, that, what was that? Bouncer's dream. Yeah, I think there'll be enough material to do a a good series or two of that. That sounds fabulous. So do you like the fact that with your career that you you dabble a bit? Dabble dabble sounds a bit rude. No, it's true, I do. I dabble, I do. I, I don't sort of... Um, you don't do one thing. No, I suppose not. And actually, for, for better or worse at the moment, I think I've found... I mean, it changes every day, but i found a way of um, doing writing and talking, and one <laughs> tends to help me get work doing the yes. other. So I think if I can keep that weird sort of balance going, then that's, that's my ideal career, really. Because I never stop writing, but at the moment I'm definitely 
hankering after the talk. Yes, I'm definitely talking more, for sure. But do you ever sort of hanker for that thing of, oh, I wish actually that I was just, life would be easier if I knew what I was doing, nine to five, Monday to Friday, particularly if you've got a family. Yeah. You know, it sometimes is a bit all over the place. Or do you quite like the jeopardy? No, I I think I still do get a bit skeeved out by the the not knowing, you know, and my, my weeks are a different shape every week. And, you know, sometimes it can be really exciting. Sometimes it can be just, you know, sitting at a keyboard going, I've got nothing to do. What am I going to do? I have to pitch something. You know, it is it is kind of, yes, it's sort of slightly exhausting. And probably I won't be doing this forever. But um, I lo- at the moment, I like how my days could be. I might have to have a, you know, a hammering deadline met by sort of three o'clock. Or I might just go for a walk or see a film because... I've got nothing else to do and I can do that. I still get massively guilty about doing that, as I'm sure you know. Oh, like, if I'm just not at my computer, yeah. I'm just like, I, I, and my husband comes home and I'll be like, I, I have been working, I, I promise. Know. Exactly, oh, exactly. No, it is, it is. And you do feel that sort of slight, you know, I have, I have done my homework, I've done it, I've handed it in. Yeah. I mean, my job is literally handing in my homework. That's what I have to do. But you, uh, yeah, you, you have to sort of shake off that man- mentality a bit because sometimes in a creative job, if you're trying to generate stuff yourself, you do need to go and see a film, you do need to go for a walk, you do need to just do something completely different and you know I, I don't know about you but my sort of side of the bargain with my husband is that most of the time childcare is sort of my thing again he's freelance too so we sort of we, we juggle that a bit that must be tricky though it can be a lot of people I talk to one is freelance and the other has a normal job <laughs> exactly pro- say it's a proper job yeah. it's true and actually those are probably the most because they they do know whose job it is though it's like if you've got a proper job then you don't have to do childcare you, you've got a, you've got a pink ticket but no with <laughs> us it's more of a to you to me to you to me but you know so far it seems to work yeah and you talked about pitching mm. and I'm interested in that because I was talking to um Claire McIntosh, the author, a couple mm. of weeks ago, and, and she said that she, when she's decided to get into this whole freelance and yeah. journalism, that she actually hired someone or got in touch with someone who told her how to pitch. Whoa! Because she just thought, I can't do this, and I need to be able to do it. And she then, is way more organised. Oh, than she, me. <laughs> she was. Yeah, she had a plan. Wow. Yeah, but I think that's maybe partly because she had a job at the police and they were having appraisals, and I've never had that kind of. Thing. No, no, no. So for you, for pitching, if you've got a really good idea. Do you do you have a sort of template that you sort of oh, send God. out to people? What do you do? Because no, I'm sure I'm people rubbish. Are <laughs> I usually, I'm sure editors are just like rolling their eyes. Here she comes. What's yeah. she got here? <laughs> yeah. I usually just have an idea. And obviously now our emails are just in our pockets. I usually send a like half coherent kind of, I've just uh, met this guy who's doing a thing with a vending machine and we should totally talk to him. And, you know, either they ignore you completely or you get them on the, at the right moment on the right day and they go, that sounds interesting, tell me more about it. So I think the building up relationship with editors thing, it's quite hard to do yeah. because certainly now at big news organisations, mostly I sort of do stuff for The Guardian, but they're all changing jobs every five minutes and you kind of have to keep tabs on. Because you're who... not in the office all the time. Exactly. Suddenly, oh, he's left, she's left. Exactly. In fact, I'm, I'm barely in the office at all now, so it very much is... If your email lands at a time when they're ready to read it, then all good. And if not, you know. Uh, so sometimes I've got, you know, really big commissions just by saying, someone just offered me a set visit to Partridge. Can I go? Do you want this? Like, it'll probably be in nine months' time. And they just say yes. Mm. And then when the TV show comes to air, there's a new TV editor and then you have to re-pitch. So, you know, it's just, it depends on... Because I work for a daily paper as well, things can just either turn around very quickly 
or take months mm, mm. and then just change at the last minute. So it's all its all a bit... God, my life sounds exhausting, doesn't it? <laughs> Do you ever get to go on oh. holiday? Because it's just like... Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> it, it's tricky though, isn't it? Because uh, you've kind of got to plan around it and um, yeah. get stuff done just beforehand. It is hard, yeah. And you, as long as you can clear your desk before you go somewhere. I mean, usually there's definitely been holidays where either me or my husband's gone. I just have to disappear for the afternoon. We have to check that wherever we're going has got Wi-Fi because we just need to quickly, you know, I just need to just quickly just and it's just it's frustrating but on the whole I think um the longer we've been doing it the better we are at just saying no holiday now yeah. like clear this clear this week or five days or whatever <laughs> three days yeah just something anything and we don't we, we're not the kind of family that goes like to you know two weeks in America we go we go to a cottage in Norfolk for like four nights or something and that we can always fit in because it's important to absolutely yeah you need to just come up for air occasionally yeah so if anyone I know it's difficult because you said things have changed a lot since you started but if anyone's just trying to get that first thing published in a newspaper I spoke to somebody else who said that she used to send like things this is when it was faxes and stuff yeah with with chocolates and and bribery (laughs) clever um but would you I mean it's knowing people isn't it and and being nice to people I would say talking to I mean I don't really know anyone who's trying to get into journalism right now because I hate them all and I want them to go away and I don't want you to get a job in journalism no I'm kidding (laughs) I do I do like fresh blood is always a good thing but um the only sensible thing I can think to offer is yes they need to know your face and they need to sort of like you a bit so go and do work experience somewhere if you can again this is crucial it's, if, if, if you do it, you usually need to do it in London, you need somewhere to live, you need someone to make sure, you know, you can afford to do it. But if you can, if there's any way you can, just use people you know, try and get yourself work experience inside the organisation that you'd like to, you know, send freelance stuff to. Because once they've got your face and you've, you've been incredibly useful to them, then you can let them know that you're also good at writing and, you know. Mm. But it's it's really difficult. It's easy to say, go and get work experience at The Guardian. But like you and a million other people, you know, it's a, it's a difficult thing. And obviously... Print is dying. So just to sound the bell of doom for a minute. <laughs> yes. print is it's all going to end anyway. So well, yeah. what's the point? Well, it's going to have to it, change significantly mm. because digital is, everything is online now. And when I get paid for journalism now, it's quite, you have to be really clear about what you're being commissioned for because The Guardian, for example, will give you, they'll pay you lineage rate if, they, if something goes in, in the paper, which is more money (laughs) and then uh, if they don't have space in the paper they'll commission you just for online and pay you considerably less money but you might still if you haven't clarified which it is you might end up doing the same amount of work for really not very much that model is going to have to change because print will die at some point in the not that distant future and then how people are paid needs to be changed because well it's it's basically a hobby at Mm. that at that rate you can't make a living out of just writing a couple of blogs for a newspaper and you've got to be quite forthright with all that haven't you when yeah. you're sort of saying about this is how what, what how am I going to get paid mm. you have to be quite ballsy don't you to sort of get you really going, do not, I, not annoy people no exactly obviously you don't want to it's really difficult you don't want to be a squeaky wheel but you do need to just make sure they're clear about what they're commissioning you for how much work you're willing to do for that money and obviously the younger you are the newer you are the more you want to do to make a good impression but you you can set a precedent where you'll you'll go and do interviews and travel around and and they'll pay you you know 100 quid and that's not acceptable Mm. I think the organizations are going to have to change but it's just about when that happens they're still clinging to print at the moment which means those two those two pay scales still exist but they can't for much longer yeah it's interesting yeah so for you for for your career so far Mm. the the pivotal moments really 
just doing that paint uh, at the RSC. Yeah, you did a bit of painting. That was a big thing. Obviously, that changed my life, definitely. <laughs> Fireproofing the back cloth for King Lear. Yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, that had an amazing cast. had like Ray Fiennes in it as well. Oh, no, it and, did. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, who else? Linus Roach. It was oh. John Wood was King Lear, I think. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, no, it but, was really good. Okay, but maybe not apart from that. Yeah. It, it, was, mm. it was that friend of yours who got you into The Guardian. That was a massive turning it point for you. It was a huge turning point. I think somebody might have said along the line, you know, what about writing? But I don't think without his sort of, well, without him smuggling me into one of the biggest, you know, organisations in the land you could do that for, um, goodness knows how I'd have done it. And may- maybe it would have occurred to me eventually, but I mean, mm. he changed everything for me, definitely. But also it strikes me that for you, you've been very successful because you, the things that you're passionate about, so television. Yeah, yeah. That's a big passion, yeah. plus retro TV. And now with the podcast and talking about... Howard's Way and uh, the new one as well. Yeah. So it's having a real passion as well that you... Cause yes. Because you might think, if you maybe weren't too confident, you just think, well, I can't talk about Howard's Way. But, you know, you've got to have the... Uh... Oh, it took me till I was 43 to realise that, you know, well, why don't you just do something you like? And obviously, you know, when there's not much... I mean, podcasting, there's not really much money in it. Um, you know, I think I made over £9 in Series 1, <laughs> which I really should have, like, distributed to all my listeners or maybe the guests who'd come on. But, you know, I bought them a cup of tea instead or took them to the pub. Um, but, yeah, it's... it's it's not a money-making thing. Certainly, it's 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 a it's totally a passion project, but it's it's what it's given me in confidence in terms of confidence to actually go and maybe start looking for a job doing it. I mean, who knows if I'll get anywhere? But um, but it's also opens doors. You know, people hear you that might yeah. not hear you just sitting at home. It's, no, it's true. Just <laughs> mumbling going, to going myself on, yes. about how it's way, which obviously, as you know, I do do. Um, <laughs> just talk to myself. So at least put a microphone in front of me. Um, but no, it is. It's great. It's a shop window. It's a way of. It's, it's a fairly democratic way of getting whatever it is you want to say out there. Obviously, there are millions of podcasts and, you know, mine's not on the front page of iTunes and you won't find it sort of, you know, topping the charts. But it's kind of fun and word of mouth has spread it among a, a bunch of people who like old TV or they found me through another podcast. That's another thing as well. If you want to start a podcast, like try and go on other people's podcasts. Mm-hmm. Hi. Mm. Hi, Ellie. <laughs> um, because the, I, did a, I did one called Griefcast, um, yeah. where you talk about like dead people, which is a lot more cheerful than it sounds. And obviously that's, I mean, if you've heard Grief, it's a really popular. It's won loads of awards. Carrie Ad Lloyd, who presents it, has just done amazing things, changed the conversation. Well, started a conversation about well, something that we won't talk about. Absolutely. So it's so brilliant and so sort of rightly recognised as being a, a good thing and has hundreds of thousands of listeners. And obviously, you know, I had to kill two members of my family to get on it. But when I did, I mean, the, the, my listening figures just went through the roof. I'm kidding. <laughs> but it is, it's really helpful to kind of spread yourself around the pod world. Yeah, we do not say murder people to just get on with your I wasn't career. really advocating that, but like, if you do... No, no, no. <laughs> I jest. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that's that's all really, really good advice. Mm. And uh, I'm interested in your sort of love of the retro telly and, mm. and how you're moving that into a new stage of your career. And I wonder if you can tell us what stuff we're watching now. Do you think in 20, 30 <sighs> years, everyone's going to go, oh, that was just amazing. We're going to do a podcast about that if podcasts exist. I wonder. Years. I don't know. Well, at the moment, it feels like my hu- my husband works in comedy. He's a comedy writer. And, you're going to um, now plug one of his shows. Oh, obviously. No, well, no, yeah, but he writes the Philomena Kunk shows on uh, BBC Two. They're very funny. Do enjoy them. There's another one coming this year sometime. Um, <laughs> but but no, no, but because uh, I think our love of comedy is probably why we got together. Um, so I'm a huge comedy fan, always have been a real sort of nerd about it. And um, at the moment, it feels like comedy is suddenly important again it sort of seemed to disappear a bit and ITV studios not long ago said they were stopping making mm. most narrative comedies it feels like drama is now where broadcasters get their glory so 
comedy is sort of brushed under the carpet. But suddenly, um, at the moment, there's a new series of Partridge, which I think is going to go down as a TV classic. It's just incredible. It's very fast, isn't it? I think very. you must feel you need to watch it again because you miss half the yeah, stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of detail. that, that It's written now not just by Steve Coogan and his old writing sort of partners, but uh, he writes now with these two guys called the Gibbons Brothers, mm who came on board with Partridge about sort of eight years ago, I think, when he started doing stuff for Sky and writing Partridge books and things. And they just, they know the character better than Steve Coogan. So it's that the amount of detail is absolutely incredible. So I'm, I'm blown away by that at the moment. And I think there's a comedy called Derry Girls on Channel yeah. 4, which is just incredible, uh, which I think is going to go down as a classic. I'm excited about that kind of comedy being made again. It's a flea bag. My God, you know, the writing is incredible. So I'm, I'm, more interested in comedy at the moment. There's a lot, there's too much drama. There's too much crime drama, just too much drama, streaming drama, there's there's loads of it. But um, I think now is a really good time for comedy. Do you know, now you've told me about all that, I'm starting to stress, going, I've got to watch it all. See? So, honestly, we need a word for the anxiety, TV anxiety. <laughs> yeah. like, haven't, I haven't got enough time left in my life to watch the things I want to watch. <laughs> and I'm stopping you watching something now. Yeah, no, literally. <laughs> it's just, like, they're the stress levels. <laughs> it's good if you could just sort of fast forward it. Yeah, genuinely. Or there, there's some kind of app that... Yeah. Isn't there an app that digests books for you now? Yes, could they not digest a bit of... Yeah, t- no, it wouldn't I be, need that's, that. What's the point in that? Though? I know, that exactly. It's appalling. <laughs> it would help me. I need, like, the York Notes on every TV series ever. <laughs> yeah, the York Notes, yeah. well... <laughs> Julia, listen, thank you so much for for um, telling us all about your career, where it's, it's been all over, hasn't it? It really has. And I'm really looking forward to this this podcast you can't tell us about. Oh. When are you going to be able to tell us? Um, in, um, soon-ish. Depends when this goes out, but like in a few weeks' time. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Oh, intriguing. Mm-hmm. Well, lovely to see you. Thank you so much for yeah, talking to too. me. Yeah, you too. Thanks so much for listening. And don't forget, you can rate us on iTunes. And we're on Spotify and Podbean. And tell your friends, we're on Twitter too, at where go right now uh, Megan's taken a break from hiding under a mosquito net to produce the podcast this week I'm not too sure where she is I think she's somewhere like Columbia she's okay they should be fine uh, thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week <laughs>